Pop in. There you go. Bingo. Um, we are back in First John this morning, and uh, interesting timing for this particular passage, at least in the, the span of my week. And so, <laughs> you, you may not need to hear it at all, but I do. And so, um, I, I thank you for watching and listening this morning, but uh, very, very pertinent for me. Uh, last week, we did talk about just this idea of what love really looks like within the confines of Scripture. We've talked about that John was very um, diligent to make sure that he's giving us big indicators as to who we are in Jesus. Like if we are bound to Christ, uh, our life is hidden in him, he in us, and our life should look a certain way. And these aren't so much like directives a large majority of the time in the book of First John, but they're indicators. Uh, for me, I don't, I don't even know if I brought this up in, um, in a while, but like I'm, I'm a fly fisherman. And one of the ways that we fish is, you know, we're going to use these indicators. We're going to tie them well above the fly, and we're going to cast it upstream and let the fly drift down. That's as often the size of, like, man, a piece of lint, like a very, very small fly. And you can't see that underwater. You can't see the trout underwater, but you can watch that indicator, and it can tell you what's happening beneath the surface. If a trout takes that fly, that indicator is going to do something. And so this entire book is full of, uh, if you have been bound to Jesus, if you know him by grace through faith, then these things should be occurring, and maybe these things should not be occurring. Um, today, today's just a little bit different. Uh, John's going to, he's closing out this section that, he talked, that we talked about last week on love and what it looks like for us to love and some of these ideas. Um, and today, I think, man, today is just going to speak to uh, the condition of our heart. We're basically going to look at two circumstances or two places that we can be. Um, I think one is very common for all of us who struggle with being of Jesus and living in the world and some things that we endure, uh, and the other is the place that we need to get to. Um, and so I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump right in and, and read through this um, and see what God has for you today, because I, I know what he, he needs to say to me, um, and so I, I'm grateful that you're here today. God, we love you. Uh, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, God, that it's trustworthy because you are. We thank you uh, that it's uh, prone to change us because you are. And God, we thank you that we can model our lives after the words that you've granted us here. Uh, these words are the source for truth. They're a foundation for us, uh, but also, God, they give great life. And today, God, that's what we're asking. Uh, we are asking that your words bring liberty, they bring freedom, uh, they bring life where maybe life has been lacking. Um, and God, I thank you just for time today. God, we thank you for those that are here and those that are not. Uh, we know a lot of people are dealing with a lot of crazy uncertainty right now. Um, and so God, today, just uh, in the name of Jesus, we ask for peace and for calm waters uh, in the midst of crazy, crazy times. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 John chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be looking at 19 through 24. Um, and like I said, we're on the heels of uh, through verse 18 last week, and I'm just going to read that before we read this. In the end of the passage that we looked at last week, it says, Little children, or my beloved, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And so basically he closed out the idea that we were looking at last week, that our love just can't be about what we say, but it also has to be about what we do. Um, and this particular passage we're going to start with is going to say, by this, and when he's saying by this, he's referring to this previous idea of we need to love in word and in deed, we need to love in action. Um, and so we're going to start in verse 19 and read through 24, and then we'll come back and talk about the two potential places that we can be today. It says, by this, we know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, for he knows everything. 
Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God and God in Him. And by this, we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. Today, um, as reading this, and I think... I think just this week has taught me so much about what this passage, like, what it's really saying. And I hold up my fist because, to me, the, the speaking of this and even the verbalizing of it, it just, it hits me very hard. Um, I think there are two places that we're going to see represented in this passage. The first is just barely mentioned, and the latter is the place that we need to get to, and that's the place that bears more description. And so we're going to spend some time there, but I want to talk about this first place. It says, uh, starting in, let's read 19 through the first part of 20. It says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Verse 20, for whenever our heart condemns us. We're going to pause there. For whenever our heart condemns us. I think about this idea of self-condemnation. Um, or our heart condemning us, one place is going to say our emotions, another translation is going to say our conscience, but either way, it's talking about the seat of our humanity uh, when it is condemning us or telling us that we are like a building that we drive by that is old, decrepit, decrepit, falling apart, and it says that it's been condemned. When our heart is telling us this, I think we need to look at some things. Like, I think about what this idea looks like, and I do go towards uh, some of those buildings that we've seen in downtown. Like, if you haven't lived here for very long, um, like, there's been this process that's gone on in this city in which the old buildings that have stood for, you know, almost a century, they get to a place where they're no longer uh, able to handle life. They're no longer to carry on business. They're no longer able to just sustain good practices, and so they become condemned. And basically what this condemning looks like of this building, it says you're no longer good to carry life, you're no longer good to conduct business, so what we're going to do is we're going to destroy you, erase you from history, and we're going to build something else in your place because you're no longer good for anything. I think about that example, but I also look at this idea of self-condemnation, and and I think of it in another term as um, like self-sentencing, self-sentencing. So we've got this idea of condemnation, a building being condemned, or we're being uh, set forth to be destroyed, to be torn down. But I think very often what occurs in this idea of self-condemnation or my heart condemning me is it's more like I am choosing volitionally to sentence myself to something other than life. To something other than life. Like we look at the building, we say you're condemned. You're no longer good to, to hold life. You're no longer good to conduct business. But when we do it to ourselves, we look at, look at ourselves for whatever reason, contrary to the truth that we'll examine in a minute, and we'll say, I'm, I'm no longer good enough. I'm no longer worthy. I'm, I'm no longer able, no longer capable. And so I give up. I'm done. What in essence is happening when we're allowing this to to infiltrate the very seat of our emotions, the very seat of the place that we think and dwell and live, basically what we're saying is we're choosing to entreat lies over the truth. We're choosing to to put our stock, to put our faith in the things that we're hearing that are contrary to the truth, and we're choosing just to believe them lock, stock, and barrel. And it doesn't lead to life. It, It leads to the absence of. It leads to death. I think for us, I think there are 
we kind of have to ask what this thing looks like, and it looks like the condemned building, it looks like the self-sentencing, it, it looks like us taking on the role of a judge and sentencing ourselves to be separated, to be cut off, but we kind of have to ask the question, well, where does it come from? I think for us it can come from one of three places. I think it can come from the outside. I think it can come from the inside, and then I think it can come from kind of a, a blending of the both, in which I would honestly say would be Satan's involved in all three, but I think the blending of the both very often it looks like the lies that Satan is going to tell us too. I think some of these lies that we have probably heard, um, that we entreat, that we allow to take root, these lies that we put stock in, would be coming from others, and it would start out as someone somewhere along the way has just told you that you're, you're not worthy. You're not worthy. Like, we may come out, and honestly, we have to address this idea that John is speaking to believers in this book. He's not speaking to people who yet do not know Jesus. He's speaking to people that are bound to him. They might be elementary in their understanding as to what it means to follow Jesus, who Jesus is, but he's speaking to people that are believers. And he's saying, your heart is condemning you. They may be condemning us based on lies that we've heard coming from the outside. It may start as something like you are, you're not worthy. I think for us, if, if we're around people long enough, if we're around family long enough, some of the lies that you may have heard is that you are just like so-and-so. And I know these may seem very odd and very specific, but I'm just trying to think of some of the lies that we've heard people say that, that cause them to retreat upon themselves, that cause them to not embrace life but to embrace death. Maybe you've heard that you're just like your mom or you're just like your dad, and you see the trajectory of their life, and it's not what you want, but you've believed it. Maybe someone has told you some form or fashion of you're, you're, just, you're just not good enough. You're not, you're not wholesome. You're dirty. You're wrong. Maybe people have, have brought up your past and said, don't you remember when you did this or that, and yet now you claim Jesus. How can you possibly claim Jesus when you've done this, you've done that? Or maybe even somebody says, we grew up together. I know where you were. I know where I was, and we were together. I remember all those things. How do you possibly think that you can know God? Maybe just a simple mistruth of God doesn't love you. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't want you. How do you think he can use you? you you're not useful. And I know these are harsh things, but I think we've heard them. And I, I bet if we took a straw poll, I think we could probably raise our hand and we could say that we've We've all heard these. Now, whether or not we allowed them to take root, that's a different story, but we've, we've heard them. Maybe the, the places from within that uh, these, pla- these things come from, maybe it, 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 it starts with the comparison mentality of we say, well, he or she, yeah, they, they deserve this, but, but I don't. You know, they've, they've got this, this, and this going for them, but I have none of those things, so yeah, they're worthy, but I'm just not. Or maybe it's, I want God to love me, but I don't think that he can because I've done this or I've done that or I've thought this, I've thought that. There's no way that God can love me. Maybe, maybe the statement is, if God only knew, fill in the blank. If God only knew, there's no way he could love me. And maybe Satan takes all of those and puts them in a pot and turns them around and just kind of pulls them out at will and just splatters them in your face. 
especially during those times where you feel like you're in sync with God, that you're, you're churning along and things are going well and you, you're beginning to understand his mode for your life, his method for your life, his will for your life. And then one of these things just comes back. Maybe it's from a, a third party. Maybe it's just out of nowhere. Maybe it's self-doubt that creeps in and we allow it to just condemn us. We allow it to come in and we begin to believe the lie over the truth that we've been living in, the truth that we've claimed. Man, I think the deal is, is we are going to be surrounded daily by lies about who God is, about who we are, about what He desires of us. But here, here's the line that occurs. We can be there. We can live in that. We can allow those things to, to take precedence and allow us to condemn ourselves, allow us to self-sentence ourselves. Um, but we have to make a decision. We're just not going to believe them. We have to make the decision that the lies are not going to be prioritized in my life as truth, that the lies that I'm hearing, they're not going to direct me or redirect me or, in a sense, undirect me. Because what we do when we do that is we're taking on the role of God. We're choosing to judge ourselves from an eternal perspective. We're choosing to do something that we were never designed or called to do. We're sentencing ourselves. We're condemning ourselves. So I don't know if you're there. Like, honestly, this week, I lived there for 24 hours. 24 hours. Out of the blue. One thing. One thing. And it made me forget almost all the truth that I hold so dear. And for 24 hours, I just sat there, and I stewed, and I began to let the lies speak louder and louder and louder. Did it drive me to sin? I don't believe that it did, but it definitely drove me to a place of just saying, I'm, I'm hearing the lies far louder than I'm hearing you, Jesus. And I had to stop. I had to choose. I had to make a concerted effort to say the lies are exactly that. They're lies. They don't define me, they don't direct me, they do not inform me as to who I am. So maybe before we even continue into the second possible circumstance or the place that we want to be, maybe before that, you just, you just need to choose through the power and the strength of the Spirit that is in you as a result of this beautiful communion between you and God, blessed by Jesus Himself, maybe you just need to stop and choose to say, I will not believe the lies. Maybe you've been repeating, if God only knew. The second part of that verse that we paused in says, verse 20, it says, For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. Coming from the heart or the places that we entreat lies is saying that God is bigger than the lies. He's bigger than the mistruths. He's bigger than the twisting of the truths that you have been entertaining and allowing to take root. And by the way, if you say, if God only knew, here's the answer. God knows everything. And if you have been united with God already through the blood of Jesus, by grace, through faith, He knows everything you've done, everything you've thought, everything you will do. And guess what? The truth is, he still loves you anyway. 
He still desires you anyway. He still desires to take you from death to life. He still desires to take you from useless to useful. He still desires to take you from a place where you are cut off, separated from Him by your sin to a place of confession, repentance, to where you are bound to Him for eternity. That starts in the boots that we walk in now and one day will end when we're reunited and perfect with new bodies, new spirit, new everything, and it's all just right. He knows all of it. And we can look to the fact that he looks past it and we can look directly to Jesus. So if the lie that you believe is if God only knew, the answer is he already does. He loves you anyway. The second place that we can be is it says that uh, for whenever our heart condemns us, we don't want to be there. It's reminding us that God is greater than our heart and He knows everything. Verse 21, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, if we are in a place to where we are understanding truth, we can have confidence before God instead of shame. Confidence before God instead of shame. If we're entreating the lie that we're not good enough, we're not worthy, we're not capable, we're not loved then we definitely want to approach God and we definitely want to approach Him with confidence. We'll, we'll shrink and retreat from Him in shame. Then I think of from the very beginning how lies twisted and changed things. Like I go back to the Garden of Eden and I, and I look at exactly what transpired there and what transpired there was a twisting of the truth from Satan to Eve and then to Adam and just saying, did, did God really say that? Is that what He really said? And He did say that, but just that that seed of doubt. And what did it cause Adam and Eve to do? It caused them not just to sin because they chose that, but then when they heard the sound of God rustling because it was familiar and they were used to the relationship, they were used to the truth that God walked with them, they hid in the bushes. They were ashamed. He said, God, we don't want to come out because we're naked. He said, who told you that you're naked? And for us, if we are choosing to live in that place, if we are choosing to believe the lies instead of the truth that we have clung to for very salvation, and we want to approach God with confidence, we'll shrink in shame. We'll hide. But the second place that we can be is if our heart is not condemning us, if we have believed the truth, the first characteristic that we'll see is that confidence. We can approach Him not worrying about our past, not worrying about our failures, not worrying about the lies, just understanding the truth. Man, Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, um, it's going to be up on the screen if you want to read it. And it says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love which, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Uh, understand, if, if we are thinking that God can't use us because of our past, understand that God knew all of those things when we were dead. He knew every one of those things when we were dead. The absence of life, John 17, 3 says that this is eternal life, that we may know him, know you, the one true God and your son whom you've sent. Knowledge of God, the absence of that is death. God knew us when we were completely and utterly dead, cut off from him. And it says that he chose to display mercy anyway, not giving us what we needed, but giving, not giving us what we deserved, but giving us what we needed, mercy. He knew all those things. Then 2 Corinthians 5.17 continues this idea of uh, the old being gone and the new has come. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This idea that not only did God know what we were when we were dead, but he said, I have come to give you life and I've come to make you new. 
I've come so that you don't have to live in the lies anymore, but you can live in the truth. The truth of this is that God's made us into completely, utterly different beings by grace through faith. We are not who we used to be. Because there, let's be honest, because there was a time when we were completely unworthy. There was a time uh, when we could not possibly know God, but that is before Jesus. That is before confession and repentance, seeing Jesus as better and choosing Him in favor over our sin. Before that time, we were not worthy, but now the truth of this rests that God knew exactly who we were. He chose to display mercy, and He chose to make us new so that we could know Him, so that we could be used by Him, so that we could be new to where the lies don't matter anymore. The lies are no longer our reality anymore. In Ephesians 4, 21 through 24, uh, further solidifying this idea that we read in 2 Corinthians, it just tells us, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In this place, Paul is reminding the people at Ephesus, the same people that John is talking to now, uh, that you, you need to know that you're new, and now you need to dress like it. And I know that sounds weird, the, the put on the new self, but it, that for us is like we understand that God has called us, but now as a result of His calling us, He has given us the freedom to actually be new to make that choice, to no longer live in that past, to no longer live in that lie, but to live in the present reality that God has made us worthy through Jesus. God has made us righteous through Jesus. God has made us able through Jesus. God has made us capable through Jesus. God has made us acceptable through Jesus. The lies no longer matter. And from this, uh, this is what we get to, to know and live in. Continuing on in verse 22, in the, the passage that we started in. And it says that we can have confidence with God in verse 21, verse 22, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. The first thing is that uh, because of this, being brought from old to new, no longer living in lies but living in truth, we are actually now equipped and capable to know the desires and the will of God, and therefore we pursue them by asking for them. We've talked about the, the contrary thought process about what prayer looks like, and we, we go back and we look at Nehemiah, and Nehemiah saying, God, uh, I am praying the things that you have already told me that you're going to do. I am praying because I agree with you, and I agree with you so much that I'm going to seek them. As a result of being brought from old to new, now we are capable of actually seeking the will of God from him, and then through prayer actually asking that it will happen. I mean, it just says right here, and whatever we ask, we receive from him. This is not equating God to a genie that we rub and we get whatever we want. It's saying, no, if we are in union with God, abiding in him, as this passage would tell us, then we can know what he wants, we can seek what he wants, and that's what he's going to give us. Because he wanted it well before we prayed for it. And now through our declaration of prayer, we're saying, God, I agree with you. I want what you want. And so now I pursue it by asking for it, and I pursue it by working towards it. So not only do we believe what we ask for, but we actually work for it. Faith without works is dead. We believe in what God has told us that we can have, what He wants for us. We pray for it, and then we seek it because we believe in Him. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. Verse 23, it says, and this is the commandment, so simple, that we believe in the name of, the, of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He 
commanded us to do. Now we are free, free from sin and free to be in the service of God. We are now free from sin and actually free to be in the service of God. Understanding there, there are so many, man, there are so many beauties that are afforded us through salvation. Most of the time, I think what we've understood as salvation is the right to sit. <laughs> the right to come into a place and sit in a place that, that talks about membership and that talks about requirements. But no, this is what salvation's done. Salvation has brought me from old to new, from death to life, from lies to truth. And now it said as a result of this truth that you're living in, you are now free to serve the living God. You are now free to be in the service of God Almighty who who directs the wind, who directs the sun. Now he too can direct me, direct you. On a mission that he started well before we drew our first breath, well before there was a zygotic formation of ourselves, well before any of those things, his mission existed. And he says, as a result of salvation, I'm plucking you from obscurity. I'm plucking you from alienhood. And I'm placing you in my will and in my mission. By salvation, you are now equipped, ready, and able to do the will of God. And that's the truth, not a lie. The lie says you're unworthy, but God says I've made you worthy. The lie says you're incapable. God says I've made you utterly capable to be used by God. I mean, we've had some good bosses in our day. Like if you've had several jobs, and I know that if we go across the, the whole origin spectrum and we talk to everybody about the scope of jobs, we, you know, probably within our family, we've seen everything, and we've probably had some good bosses, but understand, this is different. <laughs> I mean, the, the God that directs where mountains are formed, the God that directs where storms go, the God that directs where the, the scope of human history proceeds, He now can direct our very steps, our very life, our very desires, our very whims. And by truth, we've been made capable. By truth, we've been made able. Verse 24, it says, Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. As a result of being in this other place, we're not believing the lies, we're being, believing the truth, we're living in him. Now we get to actually not live in opposition to God because of the lies, but we get to live in union with God because of the truth. In union with God. Like I think of Isaiah 6 in which Isaiah was a major prophet in the Old Testament. He has this vision in chapter 6 of God being high and lifted up, far out of reach. And by all means, like God is that. Like the holy, holy, holy characteristic of God should mean by all practical intensive purposes that I should never be able to reach God. I should never be able to, to be in union with God. And what happens? God knew we could not reach Him, so He reached us. In that particular passage, He removes from, with tongs from the altar a burning coal and touches Isaiah's lips, and He allows him to speak truth in His presence and to declare, Hennei, that I am here, send me, let me go. For us, the burning coal from tongs from the altar is Jesus and Jesus Himself. God knew we couldn't reach Him, so He came to me, came to you in the form of Jesus. And he said, the lies no longer have bondage on you. They no longer have priority to your life. I'm allowing you to know truth and to let it set you free. And part of that is we can know his desires. We can seek them through prayer. We can, man, we, can, we are free to do his will. And then, man, this beauty and this blessing that we get to live in union with God, not in opposition, not in fear, not in trembling, but in knowledge and understanding, we can know him. 
like one of those translational issues from, from old Greek, Koine Greek to, to English, is just this idea to know someone. Like we don't, we don't fully comprehend it when we just speak it. But the, the New Testament idea was like this intimate knowledge and awareness of. And I know I'm not trying to make things weird, but the Old Testament idea would be like a husband goes in to know his wife on their wedding night, that type of intimate exchange. And I'm not trying to, to, to be odd or anything about that, but those are the implications of this type of knowledge that we can know God, like we can know God on an intimate, personal level. That should never have happened because I do know my past. I do know my predilections. I do know my tendencies. There's no way I should be able to know God intimately like that. But Jesus declared a new truth, a new reality. He said the lies no longer matter. They no longer take priority. They're no longer there. And if they are there, I think we can look at this passage and we can understand that if we're believing in the lies, that's on me, not on God. That's on me, not on God. This is not conviction that we're speaking of. No, this is, these are lies that we are allowing to, to get in, and we allow ourselves to condemn ourselves, to self-sentence ourselves. Jesus said, I came to take away all that, all of that. And then he gives us kind of the if-then for this particular idea. We've talked about these frequently. The latter part of verse 24, it says, and by this we know that he abides in us, um, by the Spirit whom He has given us. As a result of this, by grace through faith, there's this supernatural exchange in which God's very Spirit comes to dwell in me, comes to dwell in you as a result of salvation. And it's further proof that the lies don't matter. That the lies just simply, they're not true. I don't know where we are right now. I don't know where you are but I guarantee you've heard the lies. I guarantee you've spoke them to yourself. Maybe you've even had days in which they glued you to the bed and you couldn't get out. Man, by the power of Jesus, through the Holy Spirit that lives in us, choose today to no longer, no longer listen. Say, these don't matter to me anymore. Trust in the righteousness of Jesus Trust in the equipping of Jesus. Trust in the name of Jesus. It even says, and this is the commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Make it that simple today, that if we live in Him and He lives in us, we choose to do as He commands. And the commandment here is just simple. Believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Could it be that simple? I think it can. We complicate it. We add so many checks and boxes, but Jesus just says, believe in me, trust in me, and do as I lead. Don't believe the lies. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, forgive us for those times in which we choose lie over truth. We choose fiction over nonfiction. God, I pray that uh, for this family, for those that are here, for those that are listening, for those that are watching, whenever they may do it, God, I pray that, that you would speak to them now, God. Illuminate the things that are just not true, that we have been believing for so long, and they have been making us powerless. 
They have been gluing us to the floor. When you desire for us to fly, (laughs) they've been keeping us in bondage. When you desire for us to have freedom, freedom from sin and freedom to serve you at your will and at your call, God, illuminate the places that we just need to stop believing. And God, reassure us with the things that we know, that you are greater, that you know all things, and you still choose mercy for us. You still choose to call us by name. You still choose to redeem us. You still choose to make us your sons and your daughters, therefore making us family. God, I pray that the truth would be the loudest voice in our rooms and in our hearts. And God, as a result, we would be equipped, able, and ready to do as you, to do as you command, to do as you direct, to do as you desire. God, I thank you for freedom from lies and freedom to know truth. God, we love you. We thank you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.